you would turn in the scriptures to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. And it's helpful to keep your Bibles open to this portion in chapter 1 and chapter 2 because we're going to learn about who Jesus is. Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the man, the, the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not call, come to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, last week Sunday, as Pastor Amanda opened the series of sermons on the book of Mark, she asked us to consider what the good news is. Some of you remember, she began the message with the question, what is the gospel? And then time was given uh, to consider what sort of answer we might give to such a question. And if you are meeting with your community care group tonight and looking at the questions dealing with the themes of the worship services, you're gonna be asked the question again, what is the gospel? What is that good news you people go on about? Take some time to consider it and answer it. Now, an important ingredient in the answer to such a question 
actually at the heart of any answer to such a question is the person of Jesus. And after celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, this is the season in which the church traditionally turns its attention to the question of who Jesus is. The one heralded by angels and shepherds and magi, who is he? What's so special about him? What was his mission? Why did he come? Now, if we have answers to those questions, we're also able, I suspect, to give an answer to the question, what is the gospel? When we open the gospel of Mark, we read in chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So obviously there is a direct connection between gospel and Jesus. And as you start to read the Gospel of Mark, which I hope all of you are doing, made easier by this little guide in terms of the, of the bookmark here, you'll note from the beginning of Mark that he begins to introduce us to who Jesus is. And it all begins with Jesus' baptism and the voice from heaven proclaiming, You are my Son whom I love, with you I am well pleased, verse 11. And then that story, you, I hope you note that, is followed very quickly by Satan's proclamation concerning who Jesus is. God's enemy knows who he is up against. As Jesus was in Capernaum on the, in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, as was his custom, a man possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. You are my Son, the Holy One of God. Obviously, this Jesus Christ that Mark is writing about is no ordinary person, affirmed by heaven, testified to even by Satan. Mark then goes on to tell a number of stories of miracles on the part of Jesus. There's the driving out of the evil spirit from the man just mentioned followed by the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, then followed by, as verse 32 says, that evening of the same day when, when Jesus healed many who had various diseases and he drove out many demons. And then in the midst of all of that healing, in the midst of all of that busyness, Jesus took off for a solitary place to replenish his strength. But apparently that didn't last very long because the disciples came looking for him and told him that people were looking for him. They wanted the miracle worker to keep going with his healings. And so says Mark, Jesus traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The testimony concerning Jesus and his healing ability continued. All of what was just mentioned is and then is followed in verses 40 and following by the story of Jesus healing a leper or a man with a skin disease that also made him ceremonially unclean. And Jesus' cleansing of the leprous man, his willingness to get involved, to even touch him, made such an impression on the people that his fame spread all the more. What Jesus was doing was extraordinary. And it flew in the face of all sorts of religious and cultural norms. 
There surely was something special about Jesus. He functioned as one who had authority much differently from the religious leaders of the day. He was not, this was not just someone with opinions or someone with new ideas. This was someone with a presence, with power. This was someone who could back up his words with actions. He didn't even shy away from those who were unclean. Who is Jesus? That's the question that we are answering in order to get at the answer to the question, what is the gospel? Well, so far we've noted he's God's son as proclaimed in his baptism. He's also the holy one of God as proclaimed by the evil spirit. He's a miracle worker. That is to say, he healed people of their diseases and he restored them to their families and to healthy life. In other words, he's someone who can turn things around. He's also someone who showed that he had authority as he preached and taught. And all of that comes out of the first chapter of Mark. And then that which we have learned about Jesus in chapter 1 is only added to when we turn to Mark and the story of the healing of the paralytic. This is a story filled with good news. If you want an answer to the question, what is the gospel, this is a good story to go to. As we already noted, Jesus had built up quite the reputation in the land because of his healing power. Now he had come back to Capernaum, a place he probably called home after leaving Nazareth, the town where he was raised. And being known in Capernaum, Capernaum and having built the reputation he did, it's not surprising that the house in which he was speaking was filled to overflowing with people. If you read the story in Luke, you'll notice that Luke spends much time talking about all the religious leaders that were in the room. And all those religious leaders didn't really care about people, so they were sitting in the room, taking up much more room than if people were just standing. But Mark, writing to a different, a different audience, simply concentrates on the fullness of the place. Houses in those days were not very large to begin with, so it's understandable that the place was packed. People had been coming to Jesus to be healed all throughout the early part of his ministry, and so it's not surprising that when Jesus was in Capernaum on this particular day, there were still more coming. And we are told of one particular unnamed man who was paralyzed and therefore unable to walk. We're not told where he lived at the time or how far his friends had to bring him. We're not even told his name. But they brought him to Jesus. And once arriving at the house where Jesus was, it was very quickly obvious that there was no way they could get into the house through the usual route. No doubt there were people standing in the doorways and through the windows they could see that the room was full and there was no place for them to carry someone in on a mat. Undeterred and obviously filled with faith in Jesus, the friends then carried Jesus up the usual steps to the roof. And then having dug through the roof, probably a thatched roof of some sort, they lowered the man on his mat into the crowd and in front of Jesus. There was the paralyzed man, right in the middle of the crowd, right in the middle of the room. Jesus was the only hope these people had. 
No doctor, no priest, no religious leader could heal. But they knew Jesus could. He had been busy with that. And so they brought him to Jesus. And they went to extraordinary lengths to make sure that he got right in front of Jesus so that there was no way that Jesus could miss him. And Jesus didn't miss him. Now, nowhere is it said that any sort of request was made of Jesus. There's no record of somebody saying, please heal this man. There he is. Jesus, seeing the man, simply acted. And all three Gospels report virtually the same response on the part of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, or child, your sins are forgiven. Now, such a remark must have taken everyone by surprise. This was probably not why the man came. This is not why the friends went through extraordinary lengths to lower the man through the ceiling in the first place. Jesus had been the miracle worker, so that's what they were after. They wanted their friend to be able to walk again. Your sins are forgiven? Really? And perhaps the man on the mat, as well as his friends, may have initially considered such a statement to be a little bit of a letdown because they had made such an effort to get to Jesus to heal the man, and now nothing was happening except simply a statement about the forgiveness of sins. Certainly Jesus' statement especially took the religious leaders by surprise. Who is this man? Who does he think he is? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy was a very serious offense. It was something someone would be accused of if they somehow violated God in some way. And in the Bible, blasphemy was punishable by death. Blasphemy, if you think about it, is ultimately what condemned Jesus to death. Son, child, your sins are forgiven. That was blasphemy in the eyes of the leaders in the room because here was Jesus proclaiming to be God. Of course, he was fulfilling what he had spoken of in the synagogue in Nazareth. With authority and no hesitation, Jesus saw beyond the paralyzed body of the man in front of him and saw a sinner in need of forgiveness. Son, child, your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus wasn't done. He addressed the religious leaders in the room, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? Of course, that's one of those duh statements. Everybody in the room knew what was easier to say. They knew it was easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's nothing to see. There's no visible, physical change. Nothing happens. So it's easy to go around and say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, and your sins are forgiven. But to have the paralyzed person get off a mat and begin to walk, that's 
very difficult. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, or that word authority again, on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And at that point, we can be sure that all the eyes of the house were on the man on the mat. Would these words of Jesus be responded to? Would Jesus' authority be noted at that moment? Verse 12. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. It's no wonder that Mark and the other gospel writers note that everyone was amazed from a life of insignificance and virtual death to a life of physical health and spiritual cleansing at the hands of the Messiah. You can just imagine the conversations that must have flowed from the people in the crowd who had just witnessed this extraordinary event. Everyone was amazed. Everyone praised God by saying, we have never seen anything like this. Indeed. Very early in his book, we're only in the first part of chapter 2, Mark has announced who Jesus is, God incarnate, God in the flesh, God himself. Only God can indeed forgive sin. Only God can do something about the mess that we have brought into this world through our disobedience. Only God can make new that which we have messed up. Only God can take us off our self-destructive trajectory and save us. Only God can take our place and pay the price we owe for our disobedience and sin. And Mark makes sure that we understand right from the beginning of his writing that Jesus is God's answers to the mess of this world. As we'll also celebrate in the sacrament this morning, it is Jesus who gave his life for our sins. It is Jesus who paid the price we owe the Lord for messing up. It is Jesus who forgives, and it is he who makes us new. It is Jesus who removes us from our self-destructive trajectory and calls us son, daughter, child. Your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk in newness of life. It is Jesus who gives us abundant life, eternal life. And Mark wants his audience to not only hear the good news, but to also respond to it by doing something. With repentance and faith, like the man on the mat. So his desire is that people not only catch theological truths, that people don't just walk away agreeing with principles or teaching or saying, well, that's nice. But Mark wants people to understand that the gospel makes a difference in life and has an impact on the world that the Lord has created. In a world filled with disease and brokenness and sin, the good news is that Jesus came to do something about it. 
He has come to make a difference, not just a theoretical difference, but an actual, real, physical difference. Stand up and walk. Don't just keep being there on your mat saying, well, it's nice that my sins are forgiven. No, get up and walk and go. Mark would want us to know that Christianity is not just some pie-in-the-sky sort of faith, but a faith that is centered in Jesus, the divine Son of God. And so he quotes Jesus' words, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, Mark 1, verse 15. Get up. Get up now and walk in the fullness of the kingdom for all eternity. What is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, it has to do with Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the very one who has authority to forgive sins, to forgive us for our rebellion against the rule of the king. And he can do that because he's God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.